Welcome back to another episode of the Minor Tweak Major Impact Podcast. This is another episode of our Plan Science series. I'm your host Anita and I'm very excited to have a special guest for today's episode. Today it is the 20th anniversary of the International Space Station and we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Joya Massa, who is a NASA scientist at Kennedy Space Center in Florida and she's working on food production for the International Space Station and future exploration endeavors. Joya is researching ways to grow fresh food for astronauts, and there's definitely a lot to learn about in this episode, so let's jump right in. Joya, I would like to welcome you to the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Anita. Joya, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're currently working on to start? Sure. So I'm a plant scientist at NASA's Kennedy Space Center. And my background is actually, you know, I got very interested in this when I was pretty young. I was about 12 years old and taking an agriculture class. And I learned about the research going on in plant space. I studied plant science as an undergraduate, plant biology as a graduate student, actually focusing on plant responses to gravity and touch, mechanical stimulus. And then I did postdoctoral work in horticulture, looking at crop production for space. And that's really what I'm working on now at Kennedy Space Center. We are, have a space crop production group where we're looking at being able to grow fresh produce to provide for the astronauts as they're living on the space station or for future exploration missions to the moon and to Mars to help supplement their diet and provide other benefits to them. That's super interesting. And when I was looking up what your research is, I just was so fascinated. And you already mentioned that you got interested in plant science when you were pretty young. So when you were 12, you knew exactly that you wanted to do plant science or specifically plant science in space. It was really the space component that captured my imagination. My agriculture teacher at the time was invited to Kennedy Space Center to learn about the research that was going on. And this was quite a while ago, but Kennedy has been working on space crop production and, and biology for space for more than 30 years. And so he brought back all these hours of video and lots of information about the different methods people were using to grow crops for space. And I just found it really fascinating. I've always liked building things, you know, I'm very mechanically inclined. And so that aspect of it, figuring out what hardware would work, what methods could be used, all of that really appealed to me. And I've always loved plants. My mother and grandmother both had a passion for gardening, and they passed that on to me. The merger of those interests really fell into this area. I guess there's two different types. I would imagine that you could produce crops for space. Like one is when you're like on a trip or on a mission. And one is maybe when you're like, maybe for like very far down the road when we would be civilizing like a different planet, like Mars or something. Are you working on like both of these or is it one or the other? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. So we have the International Space Station right now, which is our orbiting laboratory where we have around six or hopefully soon now seven people that will be living and working there. And that's been going for 20 years starting next month. So super exciting. And that's a really wonderful test bed. It's a platform where we can study 
how gravity interacts with biology and physical sciences, but we can also test out new technologies that we'll really depend on in the future. And the space station is very close. Astronauts can get home very easily in case of emergency. We can send up new supplies very frequently. But as we go farther away to the moon first and then on to Mars, it, it's going to get harder and harder to send those supplies. And the supplies that we do send have to last we work in the whole spectrum of this because in different scenarios, you're going to have different needs for space crops and for that fresh produce to supplement the diet. And so right now on Space Station, there's not really a need for it from a nutritious point of view, but this is a great opportunity to test out the technologies that we'll need for those longer duration missions. And then the moon is also going to be a wonderful opportunity to test the technologies that we will need to survive on Mars. So we have work thinking about both microgravity systems, so those kind of in space with no gravity, and then planetary surface systems. The moon will have about one-sixth level of gravity. Mars has about three-eighths of the Earth's level of gravity. And so they're reduced gravity surface systems. And so we have different projects focusing on different aspects of these different environments. Some of the things are probably going to translate really well, like certain things we'll be able to do in all the different environments. And then other things involve unique hazards. For instance, you don't have dust unless you're on the moon or on Mars, and that can play a role or that partial gravity might actually be really important for plant growth or for watering or some of the other aspects that we deal with. So we're looking at all of it, actually. That's very interesting. And that's actually, it leads into my next question. I guess when plants grow on Earth, usually I think their growth is impacted by gravity, right? And how does that work when there is not really gravity? Or really, what are some challenges with growing plants in space? What are things you have to take a look at or take into consideration? Yeah, these are all really interesting questions. And there's a lot of scientists that work in this area that are looking at kind of fundamental responses of how plants sense and respond to gravity. And the only way you can do this type of research is taking away gravity. So we have researchers that we work with from universities, you know, all around the world who look at different impacts of that gravity process. In terms of growing fresh vegetables, which is really my focus, what we found is, yes, there are a lot of differences. Plants are sensing and responding to their environment, and they're very sensitive to their environment. But in the absence of gravity, they tend to key in on other stimuli. Plants are very reactive to their environment on Earth. They have to be. They can't run away, right? So they have to deal with it. And they have these incredible complex physiological responses that allow them to sense light, temperature, moisture, airflow, and integrate responses to these different stimuli. And on Earth, gravity is really the main one. It's one of the overriding stimuli. But in the absence, when you go to the space station, they'll just key in on some of these other factors. So light is a very important one. It helps to direct shoots. And so as long as you have the lights above the plants and you have the right wavelengths of light to help guide the plants, plant shoots grow pretty normally. The roots, they are contained because we're growing our plants right now, mostly with a clay substrate. And so we need to keep that kind of contained so it's not floating away. 
And so the roots will grow inside a contained environment, either a plant pillow, which is a grow bag or a tray, and they'll look for nutrients and gradients of water and oxygen in the root zone. And, and the roots tend to grow in those areas where those factors are optimum. So the plants really adapt really well to growing in space. The big challenges, I think, are some of the aspects of that environment. So water is one of the biggest right now. Microgravity, there's no natural convection. And so that means you have to have forced convection with fans to move your air, to distribute your temperature and your atmosphere. And then water behaves very strangely because water clings to itself, forms a ball. And, and many of your listeners have probably seen the videos of the astronauts with balls of water or fruit juice that, that just float in the air. And if you inject air into that ball of water, you'll get a ball of air inside a shell of water. So water and air don't mix. And that's really interesting and fascinating. But it's also a big challenge when you're watering your plants because plant roots need oxygen. They're respiring just like we are. And they're not generating the oxygen. The shoots will generate oxygen in the process of photosynthesis. They'll take up carbon dioxide and they split water and they generate oxygen. And so there's a lot of oxygen around the leaves, which is great, but it's not always around the roots. And that water can cause big thick layers and have challenges getting that oxygen into the root zone because the water sticks to itself and coats surfaces. And so that's really one of the biggest challenges that we're encountering with plant growth in space is how to water your plants so they're not flooded or droughted, you know, and too dry or, or too wet. That's super interesting. And what are some things that you do to overcome these challenges with the watering systems? There's a variety of things. We actually have a lot of different researchers around the United States right now working on different water and nutrient delivery systems for crops. We've been testing a variety of systems at Kennedy Space Center. Our simple system, which is called Veggie, that we have on the space station right now, this is a very simple kind of astronaut garden. We grow the plants in these grow bags that I mentioned, and they contain a baked ceramic substrate called arcelite. And what this is, is a porous baked clay. So the pores in this clay can help to trap water and air in the root zone and can help to buffer the challenges that the plant roots are experiencing. These plant pillows are watered manually by the astronauts, so it's not the most ideal situation. It's like how you water your house plants. You know, you get them pretty wet and then they dry out and then you get them pretty wet again. Plants for a production scenario, you want them to have a constant, steady moisture content. And so this is really more of a cyclic content. So it's not really optimal for the plant growth, but it's been effective and we've been able to grow plants with these plant pillows. Another piece of hardware that we have on the International Space Station is called the Advanced Plant Habitat. And this is more of a plant physiology research chamber. It's a, it's a much more complicated chamber than the veggie chamber. Veggie is very simple. It only has kind of lights and fans and then everything else is manual or passive. Advanced Plant Habitat has about 180 different sensors and control systems. And one of the things that this chamber controls is moisture in the root zone. It, it has porous ceramic tubes that are embedded in this granular ceramic. You can push or pull water into this media to try to get that constant moisture level. 
So that's one approach. But using a substrate like this is probably not long-term sustainable. It's heavy and, and it's not easy to reuse without gravity around. So we're looking at a lot of different approaches and we have researchers working on developing space types of hydroponic systems that could work in microgravity and could be much more reusable and sustainable. So we're really excited to see where this research goes in the next few years. That's very exciting. And then one thing I was also wondering, when you're doing experiments on Earth that are for space, how do you do that? Like, what's the, the usual setup for those kind of things? We can't really mimic the microgravity. And so we realize that is a challenge. And that's why things do work differently when we do them on the ground or in space. To do the best we can, we mimic the other environmental conditions of the space station. So for instance, because Veggie is open to the ISS environment, it's getting its atmosphere, its temperature, relative humidity, carbon dioxide levels from the space station. So we have controlled environment chambers that can mimic that so that we're at least growing in much of the environment that will be similar for the plants. So the big difference, of course, is gravity and the behavior of water. We set up our experiments so that we can mimic things as much as possible. When we're conducting experiments in space, we run what we call ground control experiments. So we'll run the exact same experiments in our chambers at Kennedy Space Center, and we get data down from the astronauts. I watered this much at this time, and then we try to mimic that in our plants, or the lights were set at this level, and we set our lights at the same level, and, and again, temperature, humidity, and carbon dioxide are all the same. And so we try to have as good a comparison as possible without the gravity. For the water and nutrient delivery systems, a lot of our testing is based on microgravity fluid physics. And we work with the fluid physicists to try to see how these systems could work in microgravity. And there are a couple of ways to test them on Earth. We can't obviously grow plants under microgravity, but for some of the watering approaches, there are drop towers, which are basically really tall towers that you drop things from and you'll get two or three seconds of microgravity. So it doesn't seem like very long. You might even get four or so seconds of microgravity, but it's long enough to really look at the behavior of fluids and gases in a system. And maybe you have a small scale down version of your system and you have a camera on it and you can do these drop tests and get that short level of microgravity and image what the system will look like and how the, the fluids behave to try to get a better feel for how it will work over a longer duration. The, the big challenge, though, is that plants also change their environment. And so if you're building, say, a hydroponic system to grow your plants in space, That system fills up with roots over time. There might be microorganisms that grow and form biofilms or other ways that change the environment. So if the surface is very smooth, it might get sticky and that can change the way water behaves. And so it's a really challenging thing to do. And so we do have some other experiments that will test this on limited scales on the space station without plants or with fake plants to try to get at what's really happening. But there are always a lot of surprises, even when we, we do our due diligence, doing all our ground testing, growing our crops as closely as possible. When we actually do things in space, there are often many differences. 
That's very interesting. And it also leads into my next question that I always ask on this podcast. But did you ever experience a minor tweak major impact moment in your research? And that could mean different things. Did you ever expect something would happen and then something completely different happened or anything like that? Like something maybe worked for a while and then all of a sudden it didn't work anymore and you didn't really know why? Did you ever experience anything like that? In thinking about that, I think we've learned a lot as we've grown our crops. And one of the things that we learned in the last year, actually, was that this fluid situation, maybe we can look at it a different way. And so what I mean is we're growing the plants, as said, in these plant pillows, which are grow bags. And initially, we don't have plants in them. We have seeds. We plant the seeds dry. They're glued inside a wicking material that penetrates through this plant pillow. And when we had been doing this for many years, the approach was we would have this wick that would wet fully up and it would enclose the seed in water and then the seed would germinate and the wick became the water column between the root zone and the environment. The wick would evaporate water and it would stay wet and the plant would grow and then in the plant would become the water column. But we kept those wicks very wet as an indicator of plant health. And then last year, there were some problems. We were fortunate enough to have two sets of experiments called VEGO4A and VEGO4B, <laughs> where we were looking at the growth of Mizuna mustard, which is a leafy, spicy salad green. And we conducted the VEGO4A experiment. And we just, we'd seen these problems before, but it really became apparent that keeping these wicks wet seemed to just cause some problems with the plants. We got some microbial growth and some of the plants just died. And so we turned it on its head and we said, okay, this wick, it's a special material and it's actually not a hydrophilic material. It doesn't naturally wick water, but it has a wetting agent in it that allows water to move through this wick. And the really interesting thing about this wick is if you let this material dry out, it won't re-wet. So we had viewed that as a bad thing because we thought, okay, then we don't want to let the wicks dry out because then they won't re-wet. But last year we turned that on its head and said, maybe we can use this. And instead of keeping the wicks wet, maybe we can intentionally dry them out. And then that wick material goes from being something that wicks water to being a snorkel that wicks air into that root zone where we're not getting enough airflow. And it keeps air around that stem of the plant. So while you want it wet at the beginning, you actually want it dry later on intentionally to move that air. And so when we, we thought about this a different way, we did some testing and it worked really well on the ground. And we thought, okay, let's intentionally dry these wicks down. And it, it's a bit of um, a challenge because you have to time it very well. If you dry the wicks down when the plants are too young, it could cause them problems in germination or growth. And so figuring out exactly when we want to dry the wicks down and doing that in the earth and space, that was a bit of a challenge. And so we timed it well for earth. It was actually a different time for space. And so we're still learning how to do this. But just looking at it from the other way, can we take this feature and turn it into an asset really became a major impact for us. And so now this was something that for the second experiment, the VEGO4B experiment, we intentionally did that and we had much healthier, happier plants. So that's what comes to mind. 
That's very interesting. Thanks for sharing that story. And then one thing that I was also wondering, when you're planning like new experiments or when you're planning on growing a new kind of plant in space, like how do you make a decision on which plant to grow with? Because I, I would imagine there's limited space and there are a lot of different plants that you could possibly grow, but how do you decide which one to grow next or how do you decide which one to work on? So we actually have several steps to this process. And actually, the first step is not at Kennedy Space Center. It's with a collaboration that we have with middle school students and high school students around the United States, where we have a program. It's a collaboration with the Fairchild Tropical Botanic Gardens, and they have this education program they've developed called Growing Beyond Earth. And what happens is students have small growth chambers in their classrooms where they're actually testing out a lot of different varieties of plants. And the Fairchild Gardens horticulturalists give them suggestions and we give them suggestions. And we have a, a massive list of all these different crops that we're curious, will they grow well? And it's been really interesting because they're collecting data and all their data go into a giant spreadsheet that comes to NASA. And actually Fairchild Gardens has a statistician that extracts key information from this spreadsheet. And the students are growing plants in their classrooms, but these classrooms are in very different environments. So you may have some in Puerto Rico and they have no air conditioning and they're at sea level. And you may have some in Colorado and they're high altitude. We have some in Florida that are on very cold air conditioned classrooms. And we'll have some where the kids are watering very much and maybe giving too much water, whereas some forget to water in some classes and the plants get drought stressed. So we have all these different environments and we're testing very large number of environments. And if you have a plant variety or several plant varieties that do well in 50 different schools, even though they're getting exposed to all these different growing conditions and students, that variety seems like it might be more robust and more resilient. And so Those are the ones that we then test at Kennedy Space Center in our higher fidelity plant growth chambers. And this has been really exciting because the students are doing authentic research and they're actually contributing to NASA. And we've had two student-selected varieties that have already flown in space. It also helps us because we have a really relatively small team of people and we have a limited space. So we just can't test all of the possibilities out there. And so these students are our army of researchers that are helping us to do that testing. And then, yeah, we have our chambers at Kennedy Space Center and we set them to the conditions of the space station as much as possible. And then we'll do side-by-side -side testing with different plant varieties that seem like they could be good candidates. And we'll look at how they grow, how nutritious they are, how delicious they are. We actually send them to Johnson Space Center to do taste tests because they have the food laboratory there and they'll do taste tests. We look at the microbial food safety of these plants. Are they very clean or do they tend to have a lot of microorganisms grow on them? And, and we just see which will grow well in that environment. And then those that do well, that, that people like, that have good nutrition and seem to be resilient to stress, are the candidates that we choose for space. That's super interesting and very exciting that all these students are involved. That's very cool. You also mentioned that you also do taste tests. And one thing I was actually wondering is, do certain plants taste different for us humans when they're eaten in space and comparison to when they're eaten on Earth? 
I know that I think there's like this famous the tomato juice in airplanes. I don't know if that's a myth or if that's true that it tastes different because there's different pressure or whatever. But is, is that a thing? Yeah, the, it's definitely an, an interesting question and, and something we're trying to get more data on. So we actually just this past year have started doing official kind of taste tests on the plants that we're growing and we're continuing to do that. In the past, we've always had the astronauts have tweeted or given feedback. Oh, yeah, it was great. But now we're actually having them rate the produce. So they do like an official food evaluation. It's called an organoleptic evaluation. And They look at different characteristics of flavor, aroma, color, overall appeal, bitterness, tenderness, crispness, those types of things. And they rate the produce. And we have the ratings from our ground testers as well. And so we can start to do that comparison. We've only done it with one plant type so far, but we're going to be continuing to do this with other plant types. In general, They really like having fresh produce on Space Station because while they do get some food from Earth, they get the prepackaged food and they always have that and they do get fresh produce occasionally. Tends to be things like apples and oranges that store well because it might take about a week to get them prepared and sent from Earth. And so then they have a pretty limited shelf life. They may only have them for a week or so after the supply ship docks to the space station. And in between those supply runs, which might be six months or so, they may not have access to any fresh vegetables. So all of their food is either dehydrated or thermostabilized, prepackaged, and they may be able to add warm water or cold water. It's a very good food system, but it would lack things like crisp, juicy, fresh vegetables. And so they do seem to really appreciate having this produce when they get it. They get creative. They add the fresh vegetables to the packaged food and they'll make interesting salads or lobster salad lettuce wraps was one that I saw posted on Twitter. They also make like cheeseburgers and tacos and things with the leafy crops. So far, we've focused on leafy crops. We are going to be sending chili peppers to the space station early next year, hopefully, and tomatoes the year after and start to grow some of those as well. But they definitely seem to like them and appreciate them. And the flavors, are they different? It's a little hard to tell because these are pretty small samples. But we have heard that astronauts tend to have a slightly different sense of taste and smell in space because the fluid has shifted to their heads. When gravity, your heart's trying to pump the blood up from your feet. And in microgravity, it's still doing that, but gravity's not pulling it back down. So you get what's called fluid shift. And so if you look at photographs of the astronauts, many of them have puffy faces because the fluid is more in their head. And some of them have said it's like having a head cold where your senses are muted, your sense of taste and smell. This may go away after they've been in space a little while, or maybe it stays. And they do seem to eat a lot of hot sauce. If you look at pictures of the dining table, they often have a big jar of sriracha or Tabasco or, or other types of spicy things because they like that additional spice so they can taste it a little bit better. So we tend to look for stronger flavored vegetables to help give that additional flavor. And I remember a couple years ago now, they ate some of the wasabi mustard that we grew and they quite liked that. So we'll see. We will hope to collect more data on that. That's very interesting. And my last question on this podcast is always, if you were allowed to make a wish for a tool that would make the life of researchers or maybe 
space plant scientist easier and work more efficient? What would that be? And this is our fun question and any answers are allowed. Well, if any answers are allowed, then I would have to defy physics and say that I want the gravity switch. <laughs> I was working in my PhD laboratory. We had a sign on the wall and I always loved it because it said experiment in progress, gravity is, and then it had an on off switch drawn underneath, you know, gravity is on. If we had a way to turn gravity on and off to be able to do these types of tests, either on the ground to turn it off or in space to turn it on, uh, obviously that would make everything much easier in our work. And it would probably make the astronauts' lives a lot easier as well. But unfortunately, physics gets in the way of the gravity switch. That's very cool. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? Not that I can think of. Thank you. Great. Georgia, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story and insights on the Minor Tweak Major Impact podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is your host, Anita, and we look forward to being with you for our next episode. This program was produced by H Media. We'll see you soon. <laughs>